even collectively. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about kingdom living. And one of the things that uh, we talked about is that God wants us to live a kingdom-style life. But to know how to live a kingdom life, you've got to know what the kingdom is about. Many times we as Christians think that kingdom is something futuristic. But no, it is really even we right now today are to live kingdom-type lives. And if ever we who call the name of Christ, we who are believers, need to live a kingdom life, it is today. With all that's going on in our world, with all that's going on in our nation, between the virus and the politics and just the divisiveness that's going on, we of all people need to live and lead lives that show this world what kingdom living is all about. One of the books that uh, we may want to take a quick journey through over the next couple of weeks is the book of Exodus. Somebody might ask, why Exodus? Of all the books to preach on, I'll preach on. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, got a couple of scriptures I want to share with you, give you an introduction on the book of Exodus, and then we'll pick up with chapter one uh, next week. In the word of God, he tells us that all scripture has been inspired by him. That's from Genesis all the way through. And a couple of scriptures that I just want to share with you real quick. In Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, says this, Paul writing. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Though Exodus is an Old Testament scripture, Paul lets us know that even though it was written in, in, for the Old Testament, and even though it was specifically dealing with the nation of Israel throughout most of the uh, writings there, yet we who are part of the New Testament and this new covenant that God has made, the same scriptures can apply. So whatever things that he puts in this book of Exodus, we're going to learn some values and some principles that are going to help us live out the Christian life. So he says, even verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they, how then can they call on him? They have not believed. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? That is simple elemental 101. In order to come to faith, uh, be able to call on him, you've got to come and hear the word of God. It's got to be sounded. Pastor R.A. Williams will say, it needs to be what? Sounded down in your ear. What's he really trying to say? The more you hear the word, the more it is impacted, sounded down, and gets through the ear into the heart. That helps us live out the Christian life. And I think Brother Milt was talking about it this morning. He was saying, Pastor, it seems like we're saying the same thing over and over. I said, probably yes. Do you know why the Bible tells us the same thing over and over because we have a hard time listening and it doesn't necessarily take root in our lives. So throughout the word of God, he is saying the same thing so that we might grasp the principle and then thereby live it out. It's no different than those of us who are parents. Uh, I grew up in an era where basically uh, it was not a democracy. 
It was a parocracy. The parents told the children what to do, not the children telling the parents. There was no negotiation. There was no, but wait a minute, Mom. Let me, let me, let me just reason with you for a moment and explain my point of view. I didn't have a point of view. There was no point of view for the three of us. The only point of view that counted was mom and dad, Dolores and Clifton. That's the only point of view I had to worry about. And if I didn't fit that mold, then guess what? It was non-negotiable. Well, it's sort of like God has laid out in his word things that we ought to do. It's not negotiable. It's not like, well, you know, times have changed. Things are a little bit different. We're, we're more educated now. No, it's, it says what it says, and it means what it says, and we who are believers are to live it out. Amen? So Hebrews 1, 2 says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But notice what he says in verse 2 of Hebrews 1. In these last days, and we are in the last days, you realize the last days started when Christ was resurrected. That began the last days. And I think I shared with us a couple weeks ago. People have been saying, especially some people who are unsafe have said to us, I can remember my dad was one of them until he got saved. You all been talking about the Bible. You've been talking about Jesus coming back and all this for years. I said, that is correct, Dad. It's been years. We've been saying Jesus is coming back any moment. And yes, it may have been 19 or yeah, back in the, probably back in 19. 99, 89, somewhere in there. Uh, when we were talking about this, it's been over a thousand, nine hundred and some years, yes. But he said he's coming. He didn't say the day or the hour, but he is coming back. And he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Now we're in 2020, and I'm telling us that we are in the last days. And if you don't see that, just turn on your television set and watch the news. I equate what was going on in our world with the nursery rhyme. I think I said this the other week. Humpty Dumpty sat on a great wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And if you think or I think that man, our government, our whoever we elect as president, whoever we put in the Senate or the Congress or all these other presidents, if you really think they're going to solve our problems, you're mistaken. The problems are too big, too complicated, and we cannot even agree on the simple things of life, let alone the complex. It's going to take Christ coming back to redeem our church and for us to have a sense of unity and coming together and know that the love of Christ and our love for one another is because of who he is and what he has done for us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has afforded him heir of all things, and made the universe through him. Long ago, Exodus was a long ago, way back when, but there are things in the book of Exodus that are going to teach us and show us how to live these things out. Second Peter 1.21, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Man, didn't, man did not just sit down one day and say, you know, I think we're going to write the Bible. No, God inspired, holy men of God. God breathed on them by the means of the Holy Spirit, and they wrote what God wanted them to write. Yes, God used human instruments, but what they were writing and what they were saying was wholly inspired by God. That's why we can trust the word of God. Amen? 
It says there, but, but no prophecy ever came by the will or design of men. Man, instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10.1 says, these things, the things that we're going to learn in Exodus, these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Amen? They were written for our example. We're going to learn some things in Exodus. And they were written for our instruction as well. And then last but not least, Romans 15, 4. For, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. So that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Several things were written, or four kind of written for us, that through our hope and patience we might have hope. Do you find hope in the Bible? Do you find hope in the scriptures? Do you find encouragement that when you're looking around your own life personally and things that are happening in your personal life and things that are happening in our life in general, that you can go to a book that will speak to your heart and to your soul and encourage you and say, you know what? It may be bad out here, but I serve a God who is still in full control. Amen? That's good news. And then the best news that ever happened to anybody, if you're saved today, or anybody that even outside of here that we can share with them is the good news of the gospel. Well, Exodus. I'm glad you asked that. Although the book of Exodus names no particular author, According to early Jewish and even Christian tradition, we believe Moses wrote the book of Exodus. And he, even throughout this book, is characterized as the main character of the book. Moses is the one at the beginning that's going to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he's also the one that's going to lead them throughout the wilderness. And God gives to him the Ten Commandments. So all that is because we believe Moses was... The man who wrote this book. Exodus begins where the book of Genesis left off. And the death of Joseph, with the death of Joseph in Egypt. Genesis chapter 12 talks about God's call through Abram, who later becomes Abraham. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. It's a good thing to know that when God changes your name. Amen. I hope you've had a name change. Sounds good to me. I know I have. The Lord said to Abram, go out from the land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Pack up your belongings. Hit the road, Jack. We're going to take off. He didn't know where. He didn't know how long. He was just told, get out from the land. I will make you. And here's his promise. God promises to Abraham to make Abraham a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So what did Abraham do? God tells Abraham, pack up, let's go. Unlike sometimes we do, God. Uh, got it, but. Can I ask you a question, God? Where are we going? You don't need to know that. 
How long is it going to take? Don't even know that either. Just follow me. New Testament example, when Jesus was calling the disciples, they were out there fishing. All he had to tell them is, hey, do you want to become fishers of men? Well, I've never really heard about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah. Drop your nets. Come and what? Follow me. Everybody in here, if we follow Jesus, we do not know necessarily the course of our life. I never heard of Wilmington until I came here as a little kid in 1964. Didn't know anything about it. And, and many times I've asked, my, we, we as a family asked ourselves, of all places to be, I came from New York. I came from, lived in Germany. Why Lord Wilmington? Whenever I go somewhere and they ask me, so where are you from? Wilmington. Wilmington, Delaware? No. Wilmington, North Carolina? No. Wilmington, Ohio. Where's that at? Between Dayton, I mean, between Cincinnati and Columbus. You go north on 71, or right smack dab in the middle, or a little uh, west of uh, Dayton. So, yeah. And then I, my, our claim to fame for two things that happened that we were in the national news on was one, the Keyhole Brothers, and I don't know if people remember that one. And the other one is, we were once the home of DHL. Oh, now still don't know where you're at. So how do we get here? I think God had a purpose and a plan. If I wasn't here, if we had not come here, guess what? I wouldn't be where I'm standing right now today. Have you ever asked, Brother Art is from Cleveland. Of all places, Cleveland, the land. How did he get to Wilmington? I mean, you got to leave Cleveland to come to Wilmington? Sort of like. They told Jesus, what good can come out of Nazareth? A whole lot of good came out of Nazareth. Jesus himself came out of Nazareth. Abraham is told to pack up and leave. He simply does what God says. And God's going to use what happens in verse 10 in the book of Exodus. Verse 10 of Genesis 12 says, there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was great, was severe. How did Abraham pack up and go and ultimately end up in Egypt? It's because the circumstances of his life dictated because there was a what? A famine in the land. Otherwise, he may have never got there because God had a plan and God had a purpose to get Abraham to Egypt because ultimately he was going to use the circumstances that happened in Egypt to call out to himself a great nation. And I really believe that God today wants to use us as the church, as messed up as we are. And I'm not just talking about Cornerstone, I'm talking about all churches everywhere. We as the church are so fractured, so splintered, so messed. We're all over the place. But I really believe that if we get back to serving God, loving God, and doing what God says in his word, we can make a difference in the world today. We have the answer. But we're so political and so ideology, try to hold on to our own ideologies that we have left, be honest with you, I think even we as individuals and even sometimes we as the church, we have left our first love, which is loving and serving Christ. So Exodus begins where Genesis is left off. 
first half of uh, tells us about Moses, who led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And catch this, the, the leading of that nation, the fact that they got to Egypt, and now in Exodus we're going to learn how they came out of, was an initiative and shows us the initiative and the miracles of God's deliverance. It wasn't that Moses said, we're going to come out of here. No, God put him there, and he initiated the cause for which Moses was going to lead them out of Egypt. It wasn't out of Moses' mind. It was out of God's mind and God's power that they're going to be delivered out of Egypt. I think sometimes we as men think we, we got our thing together. We don't have anything together. You know, I'm smart enough to solve these problems. Look at me. I got it. No, you don't have any. You're not, we don't have anything. Our whole existence is based on what God has done for us. You woke up this morning not on your own power. You know how I know that? Because you went to bed last night and you closed your eyes. Did you have to tell your heart to beat all night long while you were sleeping? No. You went to bed, you closed your eyes, listened and watched TV, however you got there, and you were sleeping. And I don't think anybody in here is going, okay, heartbeat, 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 breathe, 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 exhale, exhale, exhale. No. It was all done for you by God. And when you woke up, whether by alarm or just by natural habit, guess what? God allowed you to roll your eyes back one more time. God allowed you to put your foot on old Mother Earth one more time. God allowed you to go to the mirror and do all that stuff that we do. And God allowed you to get into a car and drive from point A to point B. Anything could happen between you the time you closed your eyes last night till you got up this morning. But God blessed you and I. So it's not on our own initiative. Our college students might ask the question, of all places to go, and sometimes you may wonder that question, Cedarville College, hmm. But evidently, God had a plan, a purpose, and a will. They're at Cedarville College, which is a great institution. Amen? They're going to learn about the Bible, they're gonna, but they're also going to learn in their different spheres of, of where they want to go in life, and these are some highly intelligent young people. They want to do some great things. I mean, one of the brothers talked about molecular science. I'm like, oh, man. I've heard that mentioned before. I know that's a heavy thing. It's beyond my realm of uh, expertise. You know, medical doctors, you know, all this stuff. Great. But the bottom line is, if you're going to get there, it's good to have all that, but you better know God. Amen? Because all the knowledge in the world. Ask the guy who wanted, of all things he wanted in life, he wanted gold. Like, whatever I touch, I just want everything to become gold. Well, he, what he didn't realize is that everything that he touched turned to gold. That nice glass of water when you're thirsty, touch the glass, and what happened to the glass? Turned to gold. Want to eat something? You touch the chicken leg and wing, turns to gold. I have a saying sometimes I say, Brother Miller, be careful what you wish for. Because if you think on the other side, it's great. It's be, wouldn't it be wonderful to have A, B, C, D? Yep. But on the back side of that, you soon learn that, ooh. You know. Wouldn't it be great to have a brand new car? Well, yeah. But with that comes payments. Insurance. With that comes, if it breaks down, maintenance. So, I mean, it's great to have it, but it brings some baggage with it. So, there they are. They get to the uh, 
Egypt because there was a famine in the land. Well, while they're there, God gives them a couple things. In the wilderness experience, Israel learns a couple things. Number one, they learn how to walk with God. Number two, they learn to trust him. They also receive a national constitution, and they also receive the Ten Commandments. While they are in their wilderness experience, they learn what it means to walk with God. Are you and I sometimes in a wilderness experience? And when we're out there, can we not learn how to walk with God? Anybody can serve God when everything is going great. But when things are adverse, when the kids aren't acting right, and the husband's not acting right, and the wife's not acting right, and the bills and the, and the, and the house is falling apart, and all, when all the troubles of life happen, can you still walk with God? They learned how to do that even while they were out there in the wilderness. Not just walk with him, but trust him. Amen? That's a, that's a biggie. Trust God. Don't trust in ourselves. Don't trust in anybody else. Trust in God. God will take the circumstances of our life, and what he will do is he'll help us in, even in our wilderness experience to trust him. He also helps them with guidelines on knowing how to relate to one another. While they're out there in the wilderness, you gotta learn how to like it. You gotta learn how to relate to other people. That's a biggie in our culture today. We we're having a hard struggle learning how to relate to other people. But if we really want to know God and we take our wilderness experience, even in those experiences, we should learn and we can learn how to relate to one another. I may di- that's, that's a biggie in our culture today because we got so much division and divisiveness and, and we got such differing opinions on everything, but we have yet to learn how to dis- basically one-on-one respect one another. And they talk about uh, two of the Supreme Court justices, Scalia and Ginsburg, who are on polar opposites of the political spectrum. And yet and still, they could sit down and talk and discuss Families came over for dinner with one another. Total opposite. Conservative, liberal. And yet they were able to come together. What's our problem today? We may differ, but we live in the same country. We occupy the same space. And whether you're conservative or liberal, whatever you are, guess what? We all affect one another. What did Jesus tell us? I talked about it the other week, a couple weeks ago. Listen, he says there's two great commandments. What are they? Tell us, Jesus. One, serve and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Give him it all. Give to God all of you. And what's the second part of this? Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, well, I might do well on the first part. Maybe, sort of, kind of. But, oh, that second one. You, you don't know my neighbor. I mean, no, no. And we, we got to learn how, even as Christians, we got to learn how to respect one another, how to relate to one another. I said this, I've said this at the school. I've said this over. Everybody in life has value and worth. Why? Because God created them. Regardless of who they are, I don't care what they, and what they're doing. 
And what side attracts their boy? Everybody has value and worth. We're to simply respect one another because everybody is created in the image of God. We're image bearers of him. And when you, Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So that's why when I go to Walmart, I don't look at the little guys and women that are in there welcoming me into Walmart or doing all that. Oh, man, that's just beneath my position. I speak to everybody. That's what my family says. I talk too much. You talk to anybody there? Well, yeah. Hey, man, how you doing? Doing all right. Thank you. You know? It's not because they work in Walmart that they're how many, and I don't work there, how many better? No, we're all the same, man. Help them out. Somebody walking out the door, got an arm full of stuff, open the door for them. It's not that hard. Somebody might need a ride, give them a ride. How will they see Jesus if they don't see him through us? We're good at coming to a house of God and serving and worship him. But when we go out, nobody knows who we are. You know, you're a Christian. Let's say, are you a Christian? Well, no. Our love is low. Our respect for our fellow man is low. We tend to isolate ourselves from everything and anything that's different from us. We don't want to be out there. We don't want to get dirty. We don't like people because of where they come from. Oh, my God, these homeless people. I tell you, I, I, I don't want to know, man. Just let them move. No, that's not right. Well, we don't want them down there on Main Street because the people drive by and see all that mess down. Whoa, well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Where, what's your solution, Mr. Councilman and Mr. Mayor? You don't want them there. Where do you, where you want to put them at? Just learn how to relate to each other. Guidelines for constructing the tabernacle, which is important, did this. It made the tabernacle was placed in the center of the nation of Israel. In the camp that they were in, the tabernacle was to be smack dab in the middle. Why? So that they would know that they would worship God there and that he was to be the center of everything that went on in that community. The tabernacle, it used to be the church, used to be the center of everybody's universe. You went to church to serve God, to love God, and to do godly things because that's where you went. Now we go to church for every other reason other than to worship God. Do they have coffee? Yeah, a little coffee shop off to the side. Can I bring the coffee in the center? Can I bring the coffee into the sanctuary? Well, sure, man. Maybe no problem. Just don't spill it. Can I wear my jeans and my whatever, shorts or whatever? Yeah, do that too. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying we have we have went above and beyond. I can I will never forget this. My pastor, God love him. He had one thing that he did not like. He did not like to see women in pants. Okay, that was his thing, and he he claimed was it Deuteronomy twenty two five. Don't wear that which pertained to a man, and a man should not wear that which pertained to a woman. He didn't like it. And I can remember many of the women at our church, the church I grew up in, I mean, if, if you were coming in to clean the church, no no pants. I don't wear a dress to clean the church. Well, you can wear the little, what are the skorts or whatever. So we have a leadership meeting. So here I am, graduated in 1976. I've been seeing women in pants and girls in pants all my life. And I wasn't a young guy. We had a leadership meeting. All the older guys were there. 
I sat right next to him. He said, what do you think? I made a mistake of saying I didn't have a big problem with it. I said, well, Pastor, I really don't see a problem with women wearing jeans or pants. I mean, it's, you know, back then you could pretty much tell who, who was who when they were walking in front of you. That was the wrong answer. I was supposed to support the cause. So we have a meeting, and a brother of the church says, now, Pastor, let me tell you something. If you drop this pants thing, I'm telling you, the church is going to be packed. I mean, if you just let go of that one thing, people will come out in groves. Women will be showing up. Men will be happy because they don't have to make their wives wear dresses. It'll be a great day. But he said, okay. You know what I saw? There was no more people there after he dropped it than there was before. Didn't make any difference. What am I trying to say? We as the church are to make Christ the center. And if we make him the center, all this sidewalk, what I call sidewalk superintending and all this, becomes a non-issue. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants you to give him all of who you are. And they built that tabernacle in the middle so that it would be the center. Jesus is to be the center of our what? Joy. How do I have joy? I have joy because I've made Christ the center of my life. Even in the bad times, he's still what? The center. And that's an example we can learn from the Old Testament is that they made the tabernacle the center. And the lesson we learned from them is if that tabernacle was the center, we need to make the church not because of the stuff it has and doesn't have, but make the church because it is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And we are to learn about the word of God. And then we're to take what we learn and go out and make other disciples. I think we do this like backwards. We come to church as a holy huddle. But even in football, when they have the huddle, they receive what? A play. Reverse 22 on 6. Omaha 22, Chicago 3 on 4. So what does that mean? They know what it means because they study the playbook. Wide receiver, you go deep, make a post, go straight to this. Fullback, you come out and block. You go this way, you go that way, and I'm going to throw the ball down the field. The huddle is where they get the directions. The huddle is where they receive instruction. What do they do after they get out of the huddle? Do they just turn around and run the opposite direction? No, they do the play. God gives us a playbook. Where to what? Run the play. God told the nation of Israel, I'm sending you to Egypt because you're going to learn some things. Even in that, you're going to see who I am. You're going to know who I am and how I'm going to get you and deliver you out of your troubles and your distresses. Exodus means, comes out to me, what it means to worship God. We ought to have good singing. We ought to be able to raise our hands and hallelujah. That was one thing about Cedarville College when I was there. I was, it's better now. You guys can have longer hair and beards and mustaches, and the girls don't have to worry about when it's 32 degrees. And you have to wear dresses. They can only wear dresses when it was 32. I never understood that, but hey, that's the rule of the land at the time. 
They understand what mustache is. In fact, when I got ready to go to Cedarville College, I got a letter from the college. They changed two rules. The year I was going, I went there in 78. They changed two rules. Rule number one is you can have a mustache. See, you didn't know that, did you? You can have a mustache. My dad had a mustache. At the time, I had sort of kind of a mustache, if you want to say it. Uh, I never had shaved, so it was all, you know. And my dad, who was unsaved, asked me the question, what does a mustache have to do, what does a mustache have to do with going to a Christian college? I said, Dad, I don't know. Don't know it at all. I mean, they had beards back then, so the mustache shouldn't have been a stumbling block. But anyway, you can wear a mustache. Rule number two. And then for my dad, this was another, this was another uh, question he had. They said it was all right to interracially date. What does that mean? I go, uh, I guess prior to the rule change, interracial dating was frowned upon. Now, depending on who you fall in love with, or grow to love, rather, it doesn't make a difference. So, But he couldn't understand that. And I couldn't understand that. The church. We get sidetracked by all these other little things, but we need to make Christ the center. we got to worship him. And worship, regardless of what we do, be able to raise your hands. I mean, they never always say an amen. Dr. Dixon, I mean, Dr. White, Dr. Jason, and Kevin have been here. Dr. Jason, Lee Becker loves it because typically he gets a lot of response. He gets some encouragement. Come on, preacher. Say it. Ah, oh, Doc, you walk on in here. I mean, he hears all that. I like coming down here because I know two things. One, they get your church gets the Bible. And two, they talk back to me. So when I had Cedarville College, I was repressed. Because I felt, well, ain't nobody else saying amen. You know, at the time, 900 students. If I were to say, say it! Who is that shouting in the back of the chapel? And I'm just saying say it because what the man of God was saying was the truth. You will cheer for your football team if it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben, Ben, Ben! What are you doing? Cheering them on. NBA Finals, if LeBron James is your guy, my son is so animated. The other night he was really into it. They lost. It was not good. And I heard him, what are you doing? level, but when it comes to worshiping God, the word of God, the truth of God is coming forth. A man's pouring out his heart and soul and we don't even say, Amen? There's something wrong with that. I'm not saying you don't cheer for your teams or people or whatever, but we get the, to me there's a balance. It's just wrong in saying telling a, a singer, like I told Randy, come on Randy, what was I saying? He was telling me God has blessed us Ooh-wee. Oh, man, I, 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 put, I put myself in where he was singing because I saw, yes, I have been blessed by God. I have, am, and will be. And yes, ooh-wee, in spite of my messed up 
person that I am, God still what? Blesses me. So I identified with everything he was saying in his song because that fit where I am and where I want to be. I don't, want to, I don't take anything from God from, for granted. I'm here today because of God's grace. It doesn't be here. I could have woke up, had a heart attack, had whatever, could have died. But God has been good to us. And the thing that the nation of Israel is going to have to learn is this. With all that he did, put them in the wilderness, delivered them with the plague, delivered them out of Egypt, led them out in the wilderness, cloud of a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, all the things that God did. The one common denominator, if you read through the book of Exodus, is that how did they miss it so many times when it came to how good God has been to them? And my answer to that is, it's the same way we are. God has blessed us above and beyond what we can imagine or think. And yes, we are a fickle people. The more God does, the less we want to do for him. The less we want to worship him. The less we want to raise our hand and say, to God be the glory for the great things he has done. Don't be hard on those folks in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when they didn't do right because we're the same way. Let trouble come into our life. We're, in, we're quick to put God on a shelf. Well, God, I'm struggling right now. I know I should serve you, but, man, you don't know God. I, I, I'm having a hard time. What are you talking about? You don't think God knows when you're struggling? Brother said it. Did not God say, tell us in his word? A couple things. One, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed beg for bread. What does that mean? God's going to take care of us. Amen. You're still going to, if you believe in him and trust in him, he'll make sure there's food on your table, clothes on your back, and you will receive what the old timers used to say was a reasonable portion of health and strength. The only reason why we've been able to be here so far today is because God has spared all of us from this thing called the coronavirus. Amen. And I'm not, I told the, I just had a board meeting yesterday, and I told the board, I said, I'm not in this about the politics. Could care less what your politics are. I'm in it for the health reasons. I don't want it, and I don't want anybody else to get it. So, therefore, science says, wear a mask. Wear a mask. I'm not, this is not a debate. Do what we got to do. And it's terrible. It's horrible. I forget about it half the time. But you know what? It is our life for 2020 right now. And my mother had a saying, and I picked it up. This, too, shall pass. Don't say, well, when is it going to pass, Pastor? I don't know. But one thing I know, this too, one day, will end. And I heard some discouraging news the other day. One of the scientists, one of the big guns, says, if you think, he says, it's, people need to have their thinking changed. They think that a vaccine is a cure. Negative. It's not a cure. It's a temporary fix until we can figure out how to cure it. He says, so guess what? Because my mother, God bless her, 
and was taking her up the right path for her test, for her treatments every day. We walked from here to the parking lot to get to the hospital with her, Tony. Take the elevator, go downstairs where the radiation department was. And every day for two weeks, I said, Mom, you get close to the door. I said, you got to put your mask on. Why do I need to put a mask on? Mom, the virus. Well, how long we got to do this? I said, I have no clue. Could be a couple months, could be a couple years for all I know. And that's what the doctor said. It could be two or three years. I said, oh, God, don't tell us that because the American people have no guts to do it for eight months. How are we going to last for two years? We can't even, we can't even, we can't wear, we, we, we didn't even want to wear it from the beginning. So you're telling us two more years of this? Are you nuts? You talk about divisiveness. We have to do, <laughs> no. That's why God has to be at the center of all this. Worship him. Amen. Learn how to worship. Learn how to put him at the center of our life. And God is going to bless us and keep us. That's all about kingdom living in the book of Exodus. And we're just going to pick different parts and highlight different things. But somebody could, that's why I read that first part. Why Exodus? Because all of scripture can teach us. Because the main point of all Old Testament and New Testament is the one central person. Who is that? Jesus. He's the king. He is the, the, from Genesis 3 all the way. When man sinned in the garden, God started preparation to redeem man. From Genesis, moment, moment, Adam sinned. It wasn't, it was not Eve taking the fruit and biting it that started this great downfall. Adam, Adam, listen, he didn't have to, but he did, which shows you the great power, women, that you have over your men. Hey, she got it from the serpent. The serpent said, just go ahead, take a bite. You'll be like God. Ain't nobody could be like God. God is. And Sister Linda, here's what God says. Some famous words. What does he say? Moses says, when I go down there to tell them about these deliverance, who shall I say sent me? God said, you know what? Just to tell them, I am that I am sent me. What does that mean? I am God himself. None like me. None will ever be like me. I am. I never had. I was not created. I've always been. Before there said, in the beginning, God, God was already here. Before there was water and clouds and all, God has always been. I am that I am is who sent me to tell you, let my people go. And it culminated, and it will culminate when Jesus ultimately delivers us out of this world, and we will one day be with him. Amen. So all of that is going to be what we're going to learn in the book of Exodus. Stay tuned. See you next week. In my mind, I'm thinking of some of y'all may not remember. Well, maybe you watched it on some of the Wii channels or whatever. Batman. Remember Batman? Some of us who are older, the old TV show. Saving Bat Time. 
same bat channel. We had a little thing spin, say, come back. You know, just end right there. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end right here. And I trust and pray that we will learn what God wants to do in terms of our kingdom living throughout the book of Exodus. Father, thank you for your word.